Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Through this podcast, we hope to challenge and equip you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus and in living and loving like Him. The Old Testament gives us the story of a man named Daniel who found himself in a position full of temptation at every turn. He had multiple opportunities to exchange God's way for another path, an exchange he never made, and God honored him for it. We face choices that can shape our destiny, and far too frequently, we take the path of least resistance. Let's learn from Daniel's courage and find the faith to avoid the traps of the exchange. All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning, church. Hey, my name is Matt. Uh, I get the pleasure of being one of the pastors here at Vintage, and we are grateful that you're here. Realize you could be a lot of other places this morning. The fact that you're here, it just says something about you, that you are looking to do something to grow your faith, or maybe somebody just drugged you here, and you are just thinking you're here by accident. You're not. You're not. God wants to do something in and your life and powerfully change it, and I've got a lot of ground to cover, so no silly jokes, no fun. Let's just jump in. All right, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1. No jokes, yeah, no jokes. Um, Romans chapter 1. Uh, back in the fall, we did a series called Peacemakers. And I don't know if you were here for that series or not, but we did a series called Peacemakers. And we were challenged that as people who follow Jesus, uh, we should operate as people who make peace instead of stir the pot. Like that's how we're supposed to live our lives, Amen. That we're supposed to be peacemakers, not potsters. And in that series, I came across this passage of Scripture. And this idea for this series was born. And it's in Romans chapter 1. It's kind of a launching pad for what I want us to have a conversation about over the next several weeks. So go to Romans chapter 1. And let me kind of set the stage once again for you. You know, Romans, just like Corinthians and Thessalonians and Philippians and all these uh, books that we have in the New Testament, they're actually letters written by a guy named Paul. Paul was somebody who saw his whole life mission was to stop the movement that Jesus started until he meets Jesus one day and Jesus radically changes his life. And Paul becomes this church planner where he would go to these various places and he would minister and spread the gospel and raise up leaders and churches would be born. And then he would leave that place and go to another place that needed the gospel and needed the church. And he would raise up another church. And all these books in our Bible are letters written by Paul, not to strangers, but to friends to people in these churches that he had started to help them wrestle with some issues that were threatening to, to tear them apart. Because see, from the very beginning, the church has tried to eat itself from the inside out. Just kind of attacked each other and tried to deal with all these issues. And Paul, a lot of the things that he's writing is to help them overcome the issues that are trying to stop the church from being the church. You with me? And Romans is no different. And he opens this letter to the church in Rome. And the church in Rome had a lot of challenges because they were in a really difficult culture to follow Jesus. They found themselves, maybe unlike any other church that was planted by Paul, in Rome it was really difficult to follow Jesus. Because it was a culture that did anything but follow Jesus. They were cray. Did people still say that? They were crazy for the older people in the room. They were, I mean, they were, they were as out of the, I mean, they were, they had some crazy customs. They had no desire to follow God. They had all these different religions and all these different influences and all this different cultic type stuff that they were involved in. 
And when Paul writes his opening letter, like he begins to start addressing the culture that the church in Rome is trying to exist in. And I think when I read Romans chapter 1, for me, it sounds really familiar. Romans chapter 1, grab your Bibles, pull it open in the app, however you're accessing God's Word. Romans chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 22. If you're ready, say amen. amen. It says, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship, served, and, worship and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Paul says, hey guys, you are living in a culture that has made a bad exchange. That somewhere along the way, the culture that you live in exchanged the truth of God for a bunch of lies. And instead of following what God wanted for them, following his standards, letting him be the one that set the boundaries and principles for their lives, they decided to go a different direction. That they made a bad exchange. And he specifically addresses some stuff about sex and sexuality. But he's saying like it was, it was across the board. They began to do what they wanted to do and follow their own desires instead of the desires of God. Sound familiar at all? Like there is a culture that began to abandon the, the principles and structures of God's word for the principles and structures of other things. Some, mostly the things of their own creation. And Paul's trying to help them to understand this. Like, guys, you're going to live in a culture that flows the opposite direction of your faith. And you need to know it and you need to realize it. And the question is, what are you going to do when culture flows in the opposite direction of your faith? Because you got one of two choices. Go against it or flow with it. And I think there are people all across our culture that, get, that are getting caught up in the flow of culture instead of following the teachings of Scripture. And the reality is when this happens, when, when culture flows, you got, two, you got one of two choices. You can either flow with the culture or you can follow the Scripture. And some of us kind of do both at times. We flow with the culture when it's easier, more convenient, when it's just e we just flow with the culture. And when it's easier to follow the scripture, we follow the scripture. Like, I'm going to follow the scripture today because it's Sunday and we at church. But tomorrow you'll step into an environment, a culture at work, at school, somewhere, that's flowing in the opposite direction. And you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to flow in the direction of culture or are you going to follow the principles of scripture? And now when you... When you, when you make that decision, you need to know something. When you decide to follow the scripture instead of flow with the culture, it's going to be difficult. Because anytime you go against the flow, it's hard. It's hard. Like I thought about this week as, I, as I'm thinking about this imagery that God's using to, to teach me this stuff. Like have you, ever, have you ever been at the beach and like been, in, like been out in the ocean? And now some of y'all, anybody like I don't get in the ocean people. Like my wife, I don't get in a body of water of which I cannot see the bottom. <laughs> Ain't going to do it. A lake, 
an ocean, unless it's like the Caribbean where I can see all the way to the core of the earth, I'm not getting in that water. And like me, I'm like, I'm glad as long as I can't see it, as long as I, ignorance is bliss. I don't need to know there's a shark three feet away from me as long as he don't, and then you step on something, you're like, what was that? Like everything becomes a shark right now, right? And then a diaper comes floating by because you're dirty myrtle and... It's happened. All right. Anyway. But there was a, if you've ever been out there, and we, we, I've done it. Like, even me and my son a couple, a couple years ago, when you get out there, the current starts pulling on you. And they tell you the only way to get out is you can, you can fight and swim against the current. But you've ever noticed, like, when the current is so bad, like, you're, you're using all the energy that you have. And you're barely making progress. So what they tell you is to swim parallel to the shore. Until you escape the current, and then you can swim back to the shore. See, unfortunately, culture is not like that. You can't escape it. As much as the church has tried, we've decided at times we'll just swim out to the other side by staying in our little bubbles, our little Christian holy bubbles with all the Christian people and listen to all our Christian music and, and, and just be Christian. And just remove ourselves from culture altogether and just say, but we do realize, like, you can't escape it. God has called us to engage it. That no, Jesus did not say, escape the culture. He said, engage it. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. So, like, we don't have the option of, of swimming out. You're going to have to swim against. And you just need to know, like, that, that's going to be really, really difficult. And if you don't, like, you're going to make a bad exchange. And so many of us do that because it's, it's just too hard to go against the flow. So we compromise. And we begin to dilute the Word of God. Or we get on our high horse, our holy high horse, and we tell everybody how bad they are on Facebook. And neither one have to be the way we go. Because, see, I think even though we flow against the culture, that God has called us to help shape it. Like God has called us to change, not to remove ourselves from the world, but to change the world. To be engaged in it in a way that, yes, brings him honor and glory and stands on his word. But here's the thing. We can't stand for him and stomp on others. And we've got to find the way to engage culture without embracing some of the directions it's trying to pull us. I'm preaching a lot better than y'all talking back to me right now. Come on. Like, like we've got to find a way to engage it without embracing the things that, that, that we need to avoid and stay away from. And, and the good thing is God has given us biblical examples of people who managed to do this. Of people who found themselves in exactly the context I'm talking about. People who got dropped in a culture that went against everything they had ever been taught. And they managed to stand for God's word and do it with grace. And in this series, we're going to figure out how, right, how do we do this? How do we not exchange the truth of God for a lie? But how do we do it in a way that honors God and makes the difference. See, sometimes in an attempt to make a difference, all we do is dig a hole. 
for, and some of y'all are digging holes that all of us are falling into. And not even allowing us to be the difference in the world that we're supposed to be. Because, you know, I, I feel like under the umbrella of obedience, we've just determined to be offensive. It's like we've bought into this idea that the only way to be obedient to God is, be, is to be offensive to everybody who doesn't believe in God. And I just, I don't think it has to be that way. Now, look, look at me. There's going to be times when you being obedient to God is going to be offensive to somebody else. Amen? That may be the result, but look at me. It can never be the intent. Offended might be the result, but it can never be the intent. And sometimes, can I be honest with you? I'm just, I'm just like, I watch what good Christian folks, I hear what they say or what they post. I'm like, you're just trying to be offensive. You're just trying. And yeah, like there's going to be times, like it's true. Like there's going to be times when, when, when our stance for our faith, people don't get it. People don't understand it. And it is offensive to them. That may be the result, but it can never be our intent. You know why? Because all those people that are flowing with culture, Jesus died for them too. And guess who he's designed be the people that tell them about him? So it's not just important that we stand. How we stand matters. And so there. I know that even as I'm preaching this this morning, there's some people like, he don't get it. <laughs> you cannot live for Jesus and make everybody happy. No, you can't. I'm not saying that. Don't hear what I'm not saying. <laughs> but I think if we really look at our hearts and find a way to make a difference in our world, and you know how I know this is possible? Daniel did it. There are people in Scripture that did it. And Daniel, in the Old Testament, is a prime example of how to stand the right way. Go with me. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1, pick up with verse 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then he, the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food, food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So here Judah, the southern kingdom and the nation of Israel, has found itself vulnerable and being taken over by another power. A power that in every way was the opposite of Judah. 
They believed in different gods. They had different customs. They didn't care about God's ways or God's laws or God's boundaries or God's precepts. They they didn't have any desire to follow any of those things. And not only did they take over, they were determined to basically indoctrinate all these people into their way of thinking and their way of living. And they're very strategic in how they do it because the way they operate is the same way the enemy has always operated. You notice what they do? They say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to gather up all the good-looking, smart people. And for three years, we're going to indoctrinate them into our ways. You know why? Because then they could release them back into the Jewish culture and leverage their influence to bring everybody else their direction. So people with notoriety and popularity and a voice, let's get them to believe like us, and then we'll leverage their influence to bring everybody else along. Seems eerily familiar, does it not? Among those were chosen, were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Among this group of people that was snatched up, taken from their homes, from their families, from everything they had ever known. And we believe that these guys were probably somewhere between the ages of 12 and 21. Formative years. Snatches them up and decides to use them for this whole plan. But what you're going to notice as you read through the book of Daniel is they have set for us an example that we need to follow. Because these men somehow find a way to live in obedience without destroying influence. There's our goal, church. That's what we should be pursuing. Come on. Like we should find a way to live in obedience to God. God's word is real. It's the truth. It is how we design our lives. I believe it. And you know what? There are some lines that God has drawn that no matter how many years go by, they ain't moving. There are things that God has called sin, and it doesn't matter where or what time or what culture or how many decades have gone by, it is still sin. It's not moving. And God has not drawn these lines to keep you from having fun. They are not for your limitation, they are for your protection. Because everywhere he's drawn a line, he knows that if you cross it and you cross it for long enough, eventually you will die. Amen from the church, come on. Like, but here's, and and so... We have to be obedient to God. We have to, when culture, no matter which direction culture is flowing, we, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to claim he is Lord of your life, then you have to follow scripture no matter which direction, scripture, no matter which direction culture flows. But I think we are called to do it in a way that does not destroy our influence. And see, I think some of us under the, uh, the guides of obedience, we're just destroying our influence and we're almost celebrating it. We're almost wearing it as a badge, in, uh, as a badge of honor. Like, I made five people mad today. Woo! Living for Jesus. What's wrong with you? And again, like... I know there's some people that are not, maybe not going to get what I'm saying. Like, I, yeah, there's going to be, again, there's going to be times when your stance for Jesus is not understood by other people. And that stance 
causes them to get offended and walk away from you. But can we all agree, that's not our goal. That's not our hope. It doesn't change what we, the fact whether or not we stand, but it changes the fact of how we stand. It matters to God. Because that person that just walked away from you, God's still broken for them. God still died for them. God still wants them to come to know Him. And I think sometimes we just use truth as a club to beat people with. And I never see Jesus do that. Well, Jesus offended people. You ever notice that the most, pretty much everybody that Jesus offended was the religious people. It was the church folks. Like, he, didn't, he would not have a problem making y'all mad at all. But the lost, come on, the people that should have known better. Jesus did not have a hard, a hard time offending people that should have known better. But watch how he handles people that didn't grow up in that faith and didn't understand yet who he was. Go read it. And Daniel and his friends, they managed to live in obedience without destroying their influence. And I think that's what we're called to do. Because church, there's a world out there that needs Jesus desperately. And sometimes the Jesus we're showing them is so inaccurate. Not by what we say, but the way that we say it. The way that we handle it. And what I see is a group of people, and, and again, before you start telling me, Matt, there's no way that we can do this. Read the Bible. There are men that did it. Daniel did it. Let me, let me show you. And I want, to show you, I want to show you how he did it. And you can see in chapter 1, there's some things that he did that allowed him not only to decrease in influence, but to increase in influence. Number one, he was confident in his character. If you're going to live in obedience without destroying your influence, you have to be confident in your character. You've got to know who you are. So much of the way that we respond is in reaction because of our own insecurities. That we, we are so unsure of who we are. And when you're insecure, you will always be easily offended. I want you to notice that one of the first things that happens to these four guys is they strip them their name away and they give them a new name. Look at Daniel chapter 1 verse 7. It says, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Like the very first thing they did when they're dropped into this new setting in this new culture is they try to pull away their identity and give them a new label. And when you start going with the flow of culture, what it's going to first try to get you to do is reset your identity. Because if you can start, because your identity is in God. When you know who he is, you know who you are. And when you know who you are, you have a way of navigating this life in a whole new way. But to know who you are, you have to know who he is. And all these names are connected, they, they're connecting themselves to who he is. And so what they start doing is trying to strip away these names, these titles. And see, in Jewish culture, names had a lot more meaning than they do in ours. When you heard your name, you just didn't hear your, your name. You heard something about God. Your name was not only a reminder of who you were, but who he is. And what they want to do is start stripping that away. Look, at, it says Daniel. His name meant God is my judge. And they changed his name to Belteshazzar, Lady Protect the King. Do you see that? Do you see what's happening here? 
God is my judge. No, he's not. You answer to people. You answer to a king. King, the king, this human being, this man is who you need to live your life for. You need to live, live your life for specific people, not for God. Do you see what's happening? Hannah, look at uh, Hananiah. His name meant Yahweh has been gracious. And they changed his name to Shadrach. I am fearful of God. So he goes from your name is a reminder that God is good. No, God's not only not good, you should be scared of him. Beginning to shift, an attempt to shift their identity and who God is. Mishael, who is what God is? To Meshach, I am despised and humiliated. Take your eyes off the bigness and greatness of God and look how nasty and disgusting you are. Azariah, Yahweh is my helper. To Abednego, servant of Nebo, a foreign nothing God. See, if you're not confident in your character and you get caught up in the flow of culture, you'll start believing what other people say about you instead of what he said about you. And that's the first step to compromise. When you don't understand who you are, God has given you a name. It is son, it is daughter, it is child of the Most High. And that's where you start to gain the confidence to stand that you're going to need if you flow against the flow of culture. That's what he says about you. If he can get you insecure in your identity and attack. And let me tell you something. If you follow Jesus faithfully, people are going to call you names. There's going to be times that when your stance for Jesus, somebody's going to make fun of you. Because following Jesus, it's weird. It is different. It's, it is different. And people are going to call you names. And you know what I, I just noticed? about these four gentlemen, they never once push back or get outraged about the label that they've now been given. There's not a single time in the entire book of Daniel where they call Daniel Belteshazzar. He says, no, you better call me Daniel. Like, when you call me Daniel, I'll listen, I'll respond. Like, not a single time. You know why? Because Daniel knew who he was. And it didn't matter what they called him. All that mattered was what God has already said about him. And so he didn't need to get outraged. He didn't need to throw a fit. He didn't need to get on Facebook and say, guess what they called me? Because he knew who he was. His identity was secure in God. And it didn't matter what they called him. They could strip away his name, but they could not take his identity. And that's how we have to be if we're going to confidently stand for what God wants for us. You flow against culture, there's going to be people in your circle that don't get it, that say things about you, that call you names, that slap a label on you. Guess what? You don't have to go crazy. You don't have, you know, sometimes we're killing ourselves because in, in engaging the culture, we're just determined to outrage it. Know who you are. Be confident in your character. Look what, what, remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, pick up verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, first of all, Jesus says, hey, just so you know, if you follow me, like, there's going to be times people say stuff about you especially those of us who have a past. They want to label us, label us by who we were, not who we are. 
He says, it's going to happen. And now there's a part of that that I think we've twisted. Go back to verse 12. It says, rejoice and be glad. It's almost like we have interpreted that, says that Jesus was saying, when they insult you, like, be happy. Like, I was insulted today. Guess what? Guess what? I made four people so mad on Facebook, they unfriended me. I'm living for Jesus. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying rejoice because they persecute you. He's saying rejoice in spite of the fact they're persecuting you. That, that even though the people around you maybe don't get it, and even though they're not with you, and even though they think you're weird, like still have joy in your heart because what I have waiting for you will be worth what you're enduring under my name now. Because I think we've, ter- we've misinterpreted that, and it's almost like we've just set ourselves out to just make people mad and to invite and stir up persecution. And I don't think that's at all what Jesus meant. I think he's saying, yeah, when you live for me, there's going to be a, a way that you live that people don't understand and that pushes people the wrong way at times. But, but like that's, again, that may be the result, but that's not the intent of how we're supposed to live. You've got to be confident in your character. Second thing is you've got to be convic- committed in your convictions. You have to be committed to your convictions. See, I don't know if you noticed, but they said that a part of this whole process for Daniel and his friends, would they would be given a certain food every single day. And for Daniel and his friends, because they grew up in the Jewish culture, there were certain foods that were off limits. They were not supposed to eat those foods. And so now one of the first things they're doing is trying to tempt them with food that they knew that they're not supposed to eat. Now, some of us might be like, well, that seems like really small. Like, there's a lot of things we could, like, like okay, I get, like, Daniel, you shouldn't kill nobody, but have a piece of steak. It's fine. And see, one of the reason why, reasons why we compromise is because we categorize. We start putting things into what's big sin and little sin, small sin. It's like little sin, medium sin, big sin. I, I do some small sins and medium sins, but I don't do the big sins. I'm a good person. There are no small sins because there is no, no small God to sin against. So when you start categorizing what is okay and what is not okay, it's dangerous ground. But I want you to notice what he says. He says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. That, the word I want you to focus in on is resolved. Because that's being committed to convictions. That's what, it, what that's saying is Daniel predetermined. He predecided. He made the decision before he ever got the chance to eat the food that he would not eat the food. The way I wrote it in my notes, and I know it's a cheesy preacher line, but before the plate was laid, the decision was made. Like he didn't wait for that food to get in front of his face and look around and be like, is Meshach eating? Because Meshach eating, I'm going to eat. He didn't wait to get in that moment when him, them sizzling Babylonian fajitas got put in front of his face. And he smells it and thinking, I know I'm not supposed to eat this, but that smells good. Like he didn't wait till that moment came in. He decided beforehand. That's what it means to be committed to our commi- convictions. I think some of us, we, we don't have that kind of resolve. We have, not made the, we have not in our hearts committed to some things that God is calling us to commit to. To decide, you know what, at 
a young age, I am not going to have sex till I'm married. That I am not going to step into that place that has things that I know I don't need to participate in. That I'm not going to engage in those conversations because they go down the wrong road. And so I ain't even going to walk in there. Like he says, he resolved, like he, he, he predetermined, he made that commitment before. See, if you don't make the commitment before the moment, emotion or hormones or something can supersede the voice of God. And the next thing you know, you made a bad exchange. Committed to our convictions. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has ever overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now, God did not say he will not give you more than you can handle. That is not the interpretation of that verse. What he's saying is there's never a reason for you to act like you were so tempted you couldn't resist. It says, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. These gentlemen, they lived in obedience and they did not destroy their influence. It began with confidence in their character, a commitment to their convictions. But notice that they were also respectful in their response. What, you can, what we're going to read next, the first time I, I read this again, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. Look at Daniel chapter 1, go back to verse 8. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, for most of us, like maybe, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like, did he just, did he just ask another person for permission not to sin? And see, like, that's, I think, how we initially read it. But see, Daniel had a bigger picture in mind here. See, th- you know what I think most of, okay, just me. What I would have done, I ain't eating that food, man. That is devil food. I ain't eating it, and you shouldn't eat it either. If you eat it, you're going to hell. You take one bite, cannonball into the fiery pit, stay away. Like, maybe that's extreme. Isn't that kind of how we react sometimes? But see, Daniel, and now here's the thing. I don't believe if, if Daniel, if the, if the official had come back and not given permission, I think Daniel would have still not eaten because he'd already said what? He had resolved not to defile himself. But Daniel has determined that I'm going to live in obedience without destroying my influence. And so I'm going to handle this in a way that is respectful and gracious because you know what? That guy bringing that food, he needs to know the God I know. And how I'm about to handle this exchange is going to matter. Because I'm stuck in this culture. I can't swim out. I'm a young man pulled away from my home, stuck in this place. And I have a platform now where I can have an influence and I can make a difference. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. Do everything in love. Like we like verse 13. Standing for my faith. I am strong and I am courageous. Like he doesn't say compromise. He doesn't say give in. He doesn't say water it down. He says stand firm in your faith. Like don't, 
be immovable in what you know the word of God says. Be courageous, be strong, but do it in love. And can I just be honest, I think we leave out the do it in love part far too often. We stand firm, we stand courageous, we tell people, we, we, we tweet, we post, we have conversations, we do all this. And we, we, we stand out on verse 13 that we fail at the next verse. Do everything in love. See, Daniel is operating in a way that he knows God is going to honor. Because, you know, I think Daniel believes, Daniel believes if I walk in a way that honors God, if I'm obedient to him in this way, that God's going to honor it. And my obedience is going to come with his favor and give me a chance to build influence. Let's drop down to, drop down to verse 9. Daniel chapter 1. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official said, told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food. Like, I, like I'm worried about me here. And now Daniel could have said, well, I, I'm worried about me. I ain't worried about you. But look what he says. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Like, you don't understand, Daniel. Like, if, if you don't eat this food and you eat the food that you say you can eat and you look different than all the other people, then I'm going to be the one that's in trouble. And notice that Daniel is already, he's standing firm, but he's thinking about the others. He's standing up, but he's not stomping on the other person that he has the opportunity to influence. Daniel, verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this, to test them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Because they took a stand and God honored it. And you know what the result is? If you will be confident in your character, commit to your convictions, be respectful in your response, then God will increase your influence. Look what begins to happen. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and found none equal, none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. And Daniel and his friends who took a stand began to actually make a dent in the culture that they got dropped in. And I think we can too. I know it feels like going against the culture is exhausting at times and there's so many times that it's frustrating but I believe that we can live in obedience without destroying our influence I don't only believe we can I believe we have to because we are royal priesthood a chosen nation for this time and place to make him known that yes we stand on his word but we don't stomp on other people in the process that we live out obedience we make a difference in this world and it starts with us would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. I don't know what you need to do, what, you, what, you, what you've just heard, but I think you need to do something. 
maybe you're one of those people in the room and somewhere along the way you exchanged the truth of God for a lie and you've just been living your own way, doing your own thing and God's just calling you home. He's saying, come back. Let me wash you in forgiveness through the power of my blood and just experience renewal. Or maybe you're one of the ones that, man, sometimes... Yeah, you take a stand for your faith. And if you're honest, the way you stand is not God-honoring. And you just need to ask Him to give you some wisdom and discernment so that you can live in obedience without destroying your influence because there's a world around you that needs you, that God has appointed you be the one to show them the way to Him. Would you just wrestle with the voice of God right now? Father, I pray that as we worship you, that you would teach us things that we need to be taught that you would change us in ways we need to be changed, that you'd bring conviction where we need it, and that, God, you'd help us to see that there is a path that honors you and loves others, that stays true to your word without stomping on other people in a way that dilutes our ability to win them. God, speak to hearts right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. To stay connected with what's happening at Vintage, download the Vintage Church app to access sermon notes, events, devotionals, previous podcasts, and discover ways to get connected in community. We hope you join us again soon.